Alright, Sally, let me record again. So we're recording again. And I'm trying to clip this onto my back over here so I don't have to hold on to it. Ta da! Well, it's good to be back. I'm glad to be back. Um, I can't believe it's already been a year. Nice. So, um, or almost a year. Like it was just the other day. Time flies, though, when you get old. And um, you too will get old. I have um, handouts to keep you guys awake. Um, some. And we got lots of scripture again. Kim, so I'm glad you enjoyed that little Bible drill kind of going on because it really doesn't matter what I have to say. This matters what the Word of God says. Um, and I do pray. I agree with, stand in agreement with, with Brandy's prayer, Lord, that we would um, get a word and that you'd be blessed and, and, re- and receive blessings um, today. Um, some of you, I mean, I know some of you guys have been here before, but I just, I'm the executive director of maternity home. I've been a believer for 15 years, um, 16 years in August, so getting close. And um, I'm a good Baptist girl. I was seven years old when I really got saved, but really, you know, he became Lord of my life 16 years ago. And so, um, and um, for the most time I strive for him to be the Lord, but every once in a while I, you know, say no Lord, which is really an oxymoron because if he's really the Lord, you can't say no to him, but he does allow us to say no to him, so... Um, but I love him, and I'm grateful to, to be able to serve him and minister in an amazing way um, through the Lifehouse Ministry. And so um, we bring on, un- well, they're married and, and unmarried girls into our homes, and, and we're building the second home, so it's kind of exciting that we can do aftercare. So we have them with us longer than just the months of their pregnancy. They can stay with us and move on from there. So um, that would be, we bought it, and we're doing the add-on, and I'm dreaming that it will be open in September, and one of the guys told me yesterday, he said, you know, we're going to be lucky if it's framed out come September. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, today we'll talk about grace, but before I do that, I wanted to talk about one thing that really is just the Lord's, and I thought maybe this is what I was going to teach on today, but it wasn't, and, um, but I'm still going to talk about it. Um, so uh, we did Breaking Free recently with Beth on Tuesday night, and if you guys were a part of that or came on Tuesday night. I've never done Breaking Free before, but one of the reasons, one of the um, benefits of being free, she talked about five benefits of being free, that you would know God, that you would believe God, that you would um, experience his um, peace, that you would be a display of his splendor, of his glory, and that you would enjoy his presence. And I, I can't um, begin to tell you how much that has become a reality in my life, really since about Thanksgiving. God did something um, really tangible in my life around Thanksgiving time, and um, and it's just kind of grown in that in that sense. And I used to always, because um, I've experienced his peace, I believe him, I know him. Um, you know, I can just, I feel like I can display his splendor as I go about doing what he's going to do. But, but really enjoying him. You know, I can enjoy a girlfriend, go have a cup of coffee with a girlfriend. I mean, I understand that concept. But the concept of enjoying the presence of the Lord was not a reality in my life until very recently. And it wasn't even the point that I knew to seek it. Um, you know, I didn't know that you could really have that real of a relationship. Um, I mean, he is so real to me at times, it's almost kind of, woo, kind of scary. And um, that he's like, he's God, so he can do whatever he wants. And, um, I mean, like, there was one time I left church, and I go in the mornings to church, and I left church, and I got in the car, and I reached for my phone to call him because he was home. Because I knew I was going home, and I needed to call. I, I was gonna, I mean, I, that's how, woo, and I'm like, okay, you're losing Becky. Drive very slowly, you know. Um, but that's how tangible and real he is, and you really can enjoy his presence. And this afternoon, I just spent lots of time enjoying his presence, and I kept on saying, i got to get ready for, to go to church, Lord. And this morning, in my quiet time, I was saying, i got to hurry up and go worship you, Lord. You know. And he's like, you're fine. You're worshiping me here. So I just want to encourage you, if you don't have that kind of experience, and I can't I can tell you what happened to me, but, you know, we all have different burning bushes. But I would just encourage you to really seek him out. Say, Lord, I want to enjoy your presence. In that kind of way, where it's, it's just kind of like, you know, you know, if you're dating a guy and you're, you know, or when you were dating a guy at one time or whatever, it's like you didn't want to, you hang up first, no, you hang up first, no, you hang up first, no, you hang up first. You know, you have that kind of, you know, and you have that, I have that with the Lord. It's like, I don't want to leave, I don't want to, he's so real and so tangible to me. So I just want to encourage you that that is a reality. And it is, because um, he's a real person. And there's a great, it's okay, if you get nothing else, get this. Go buy the book, The Shack. 
Has anybody even read the book, The Shack? Okay. Okay, The Shack. It will change your life. It's written by a gentleman named William Young, and it's an, anybody read um, Hind's Feet on High Places? Has anybody ever read that book by Hannah Whitehall Smith? You guys are so young. Um, Hind's Feet on Hind's Places is an allegory. It's an allegory. Yeah, thank you. It's an allegory. And, um, and the, the shack is an allegory that you can apply. And how it is, is it's just a, you know, it's a parable. And, but it's about this man who, his daughter was murdered, and now he's four or five years down the road, and he gets a note in his mailbox that's from the Lord, and he knows it's from God, saying, meet me at the shack, which the shack is where his daughter was killed. And he goes, and he encounters the Trinity, God and three persons, and it's interesting, the father, because he had an issue with his father, Father God in the shack is this kind of Aunt Jemima, big black woman that's the cook and the servant, and I mean, because he couldn't deal with him as a man, you know. And Jesus is just this kind of the handyman in the area, and the Holy Spirit is just this kind of... She's a gardener, and, and he says, like, like he could never really focus on her because she's always moving. And I thought, well, that's about how we feel about the Holy Spirit. But anyways, it is, it is an awesome book that will give you just such a new reality and perspective. Because my prayer, really, since, it, in, since experience his presence, has been, when I hear the voice of God, because the Bible says that the shepherd hear the voice, of, the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd, and they know his voice. When I hear that voice, I want to know, okay, was that the Father speaking to me? Was that the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Was that Jesus speaking to me? You know, so often we, the Lord, Jesus isn't ever interceding for us. You know, but it's really the Father who we need to approach in our prayers. I'm, I, you know, I'm not, so it's not like it's okay if you say Lord, and, you know, because he is Yahweh. Lord is Yahweh, and that is all three of them. But um, just hearing that difference. And so when he gives me, an, an, when he's telling, when he's correcting me, it's the Father. You know, when he's like, slow down, or don't eat so much, or, you know, you need to do that or this, or um, I don't really good about washing my face, and he's real funny about reminding me to take my makeup off and wash my face, and so that's the Father speaking to me. You know, in, in, the, in the playfulness and the, like this afternoon and enjoy his presence, I really felt like it was very much Jesus himself, you know, was, was there. And then the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me, and it convicts me about things and moves me things. So um, I want to know his, and this book has really helped me see that. So all that's free, none of that's on the, anywhere at all. Well, I want to talk to you guys today about three different types of grace and then how we can get more of God's grace. Um, and it's really, it's, I'm doing a, a teaching, and it's down the bottom, called Seeking Him by Nancy Lita Moss and Tim Grissom. And this was kind of the week's Bible study this week. And so um, I, this is what I learned, and so I wanted to share with you guys what, what was coming from them. And there's three types of grace. Number one is their saving grace. Saving grace. I want us to go to Ephesians 2, 1 through 9, and we're going to try and go to most of these verses and, and flip through most of these verses um, if we have time. 6.15, what time am I supposed to stop? Shelly said 7.30, but I, I don't think I can go that long, so. Is that when we're supposed to That's fine. Or you can tell me whenever stop, I'll stop. Um, okay, Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, in whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God. Praise the Lord for but God. I mean, that's a, you'll do a word study that will rock your world. Spend one Saturday afternoon and put out your concordance or go on Bible Gateway or go to Blue Letter Bible on the Internet and look up but God. But God, but God, but God. There's another, another one that's got the um, um, nevertheless. That's another great word. It's in the King James. Nevertheless. 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 And whenever it's nevertheless, there's always, you know, despite all this craziness that's going on, nevertheless, God is faithful. And so, you know, and here he's telling us in verses 1 through 3, this is who you were. This is who we were before Christ. We were following the course of the world. We were, we were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. We lived on our passions of our flesh. Our flesh were driving us. Whatever our passions were, we did. And that's a really good indication. I'll check you up. How are you doing on your passions? Are your passions controlling you? Or are you controlling your passions? 
Because that will be a real good indicator of where you are with the Lord and where your walk is. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. <laughs> there's no spirit, there's no soul in there. Just the body and the mind. What I want to do and what I feel like doing. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of them. So that's where we are. But praise the Lord for verse 4. But God, He showed up and He delivered us from that atrocity and, 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 and the um, heinousness of our life. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive again with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So here we were. And this is, we were saved from death and wrath. That's your blank. We were saved from death and wrath. We were dead. It's not like we were being saved from death. We were already dead in our trespasses. We were under the wrath of God. And we were actually operating in that wrath. We were wrathful people. But then God showed up and we came over to this other side and he saved us because of his rich mercy and because of his love and because of his grace. He chose to transfer us from the kingdom, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You know, I'm always, um, I was at a Billy Graham concert, I mean Billy Graham um, crusade uh, a dozen years ago in Atlanta. And he gave this really basic three-point sermon, poem at the end, I mean, just... And all of a sudden, you know, gives invitation and people are, you know, flocking forward to receive salvation. And I was just sitting there just kind of thinking, Lord, I mean, you know, well, that wasn't very inspiring. I mean, that's what's kind of going on in my mind. I wanted, you know, I wanted a word, you know. He didn't really preach it. And I'm like going on about this. And he said, oh, my goodness. He said, are you bored with the gospel? I mean, just like, whack, you know. And I said, no, no, sir, I'm not bored with the gospel. And he said, you know, what's happening right here is people are literally being snatched from the flames of hell and being transferred into my glorious light to spend eternity with me. You know, I'm this pastor. I don't understand why during an invitation, unless you are bleeding or throwing up, you would get up and leave during an invitation. I don't care where you have to be. Don't come to church if you are stuck at a point where you've got to leave during the invitation. Because in that moment, there is a wrestling going on in the heavenlies that we have no idea about. Pulling people out of darkness and transforming them into this glorious light. And during that time of invitation, it is, it's precious. I am so, I mean, I love my Baptist church, but I'm real ecumenical. I go to a lot of different churches and I go to a lot of different services because of what we do in the pro-life movement. But I love the Baptist church that we give an opportunity for salvation. We give, I, I go to churches all the time and I hear a great message and, you know, and it says, this is how you need to live your life and it's quite wonderful, but they never say, here, come and get it. They just let, and it's like, I just want to say, well, okay, now what do I do? You know, they don't like, Give you an invitation. So I love an invitation. And so during that times of invitation, I want you to have in your mind flames of hell. You know? And I think there will be little... Hell is real. Hell is a real place. And there are people that will spend eternity in there by their own willful choice. God doesn't send anybody to heaven. God sent His Son to save everyone. They chose to go. And during that time of invitation, there's flames over here and there's light over here. Pure, white, blessed light. And that all they have to do is say, I'm going to receive. I want it. You know, and I'm, there's nothing in here about the sinner's prayer or anything like that. I believe that just when they just step out, they move, they stand up, they start making that motion toward, boom, they are saved. I mean, not even that. I mean, even the thought of, I'm about to pick up my foot and move forward. Boom. They are saved. There's nothing magical about some prayer that we pray. I think it's more for us that we know it's nailed down. Here it is for certain. But God's hand and His mercy is so so rich toward us that He's not sitting there and saying, okay, you need to do these three and a half things. If you don't do these three and a half things, then you're, it's not going to work. Um, first, uh, first John 1, it's not in here, um, First John one nine to confess your sins. First John one seven through nine talks about God is darkness, 
Okay? And if we have darkness in us, we can't dwell with the Lord. But verse 9, praise the Lord, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. You know, so it's one of those things I kind of, it's like free will, free will, predestination, can you lose your salvation, can you not lose your salvation? It's kind of like the answer is yes. You know? Because if I am in darkness, the Lord, God can't dwell in me. But if my heart is pure and turned toward him, he's going to reveal to me what's going on. So I'm going to say, hey, let's see if she'll remember this then. I'll give her a little clue here. No. I mean, he's going to say, you know, if I just turn toward him just ever so slightly. You know, the prodigal son had to get up out of the pig's pen and go to the father. We don't have to get out of the pig's pen. We just need to say, okay, I really have blown it. I need a savior. Boom. I'm, a, I'm under wrath. Boom. He's going to jump right on us and give this. And he's going to bestow upon us, and I love this, mercy, love, grace, and kindness. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Verse 7, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He saves us so that he can show us his grace and his kindness. And it's his kindness that will always draw them. Always will draw them. Our girls that come to Lifehouse, we are um, salvation. Really, I want a healthy pregnancy and I want um, a plan. And if they get saved, great. I mean, that's kind of bonus. You know, but that's not our purpose. We don't have this plan that, okay, after 90 days, if we haven't shared the gospel with them in a clear step-by-step process and handed them the four spiritual laws, you know, day 91, we're doing No. We're just going to display grace and mercy and kindness and love and discipline. And half of the girls who come that are unbelievers come to us at one point or go to one of our pastors at a Sunday morning service and say, how do I have that? How do I do this? How can I operate like that? And we say, well, you need Jesus. Let me help you. Let me walk you through this. And I believe, I still, I am, I mean, again, because I think God's hand is so extended out to us, when the girl comes and says, how do I do that? Boom! You know, Jesus come right then. She's going with us. You know, God's going to, God is always going to fall way over here on this side of grace. You know, that line of demarcation is going to be way farther in favor of to people because he desires to see them coming to the saving knowledge of Christ. I read this in, this, in the book, just um, seeking him. About vengeance, justice, mercy, and grace. It's not in, your, it's not in here, but um, those three things, vengeance, justice, mercy, and grace. And especially mercy and grace, it's kind of hard to keep them apart. But let me tell you the story of, of how, they, how they did it. I thought it was an excellent way. Let's imagine a young man was killed um, by another man um, and um, his father went out, sought out this man, and killed him. That would be vengeance. The father exacted vengeance on the murderer. Okay? But let's say he didn't do that, and the police investigated, the police captured the murderer, took him to jail, took him before a judge and a jury of his peers. They presented evidence, and the jury of his peers convicted him of murder and sentenced him to life imprisonment, or the death penalty, or whatever, depending on what state you're in. That's justice. Justice was served. A loss, you know, this guy's been caught. He's suffering penalty. Justice. Justice was exacted on that man through the courts. Okay? So they convicted him of this. They sentenced him a year. They convicted him, and during the sentencing phase of it, the, the father of the man who was killed comes and says, um, listen, spare his life. Let him just have, you know, 20 years in prison, or maybe not at all. Spare him the penalty. That's the man is then exacting mercy on the murderer. The father is exacting mercy on the murderer. But then here is where grace is. So he comes and he says, not only do I not want him to serve any time in prison, look, I want to take him home with me. And I want to bring him into my house. And I want to mentor and love and minister to him and treat him like my very, very own son. That's grace. See, God, in his righteousness, has every right to exact vengeance on us because of our willful disobedience and turning away from him. Willful disobedience has every right. He's, just, he's justified in that because he's holy. You know, he can exact vengeance. No jury required, okay? Come back one step forward. 
He will put us before you as a just God. And we will be judged. And justice will be exacted on us. Then there's mercy that comes along that says, you know, hey, look, you know, he could just stop right then and say, look, Jesus died for your sins, so you're good. You can come on and slide in by the skin of your teeth and make it into heaven. He's like, no, he's all the way over here with grace. Say, not only do I want to bring you into my heaven, you know, not only want to forgive you for your sins, but I want you to not suffer any of the penalty that's on there. But I want you to be my child. Look what he says right here. Verse 6, he's raised us up with him, Jesus Christ, and he seated us with him, Jesus Christ, in the heavenly places. Whatever your troubles are, they're under your feet. They're under Jesus' feet, but they're under your feet. You're above those things. You're above all things, because Jesus is seated in the heavenlies right now. All rule and power and dominion are upon them. Saving grace. You've never made a decision for Jesus Christ. Nail it down. Nail it down. Most people that have come to church at 5.30 on Sunday evening probably have made a decision for Christ. But I also want you to have a concept in your mind that that saving grace is ever extended always to those around us. And I believe, and, and we hear this often, and I say it myself, Lord, please come back. I'm ready for him to come back. The suffering that goes on in this world, Lord, please come back. And I believe Jesus is ready to come back. I believe he wants to come back because of his love for us. But he's not the one that's going to determine the time or the hour. He doesn't even know the time or the hour. Go figure that out. Send that one to Diane and ask her to explain that one. The omniscient Jesus Christ doesn't know all things. He doesn't know the time. Anyway, so, but if we understood it all, then he'd be like us. I want to know a God that I don't understand all that he does. So the Father knows. The Father is withholding Christ. Oh, hold on, brother. I know you want to go to Jesus. I know you, oh, well, get off the steed. Come sit down over here. Hold off. i got people that are dying going straight to hell. And we hold in our hands. Saving grace that we can extend out to those that are come. Okay, number two, sanctifying grace. Sanctifying grace. S-A-N-C-T-I-F-Y-I-N-G. Sanctifying grace. Utterly dependent on God's grace to live the Christian life. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes you feel like, I am such a failure. This Christian life is way too hard. It's way too hard. And it is hard. It's harder without Christ, though. No wonder you sex and drug and rock and roll and, you know, whatever. There's nothing rock and roll, but, you know. No wonder you, you turn to those things in the world. Apart from Christ, that makes total sense. We're battling the culture of death and abortion. Apart from Christ, to many of the girls who come and live in our home, abortion makes total sense. I can fix this problem. I can move on. I don't have to get fat. Whatever. I got a loser of a boyfriend. My parents are going to kick me out. At Rice University, if you get pregnant and you live in a dorm, you have to leave the dorm. So I've got a four-year ride to one of the premier colleges in the world, and I'm pregnant. I mean, apart from Christ, I take care of this problem, I can have children later, right? So, life's hard, but with Christ in us, the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us, we have it. You know, so often we struggle and we strive to be these good Christians, apart from God's grace. I mean, that's me, I'm telling you, that me, my personality, I'm a strong-willed, choleric, 100% prophet, and my self-sufficiency gets me into so much trouble. And I don't, like, intentionally think that I don't need anybody else's help. I just go and do it. You know, I don't... And it's like, I can help you. I can really help you with this, you know. You don't have to do this by yourself, you know. But go on with your bad self. I'll let you do this by yourself. We struggle. We strive. We think that we don't need God's grace. And this is what I love, because this is something that really, in the past couple of years, has really come real to me. God's grace is not just some fuzzy blanket that just covers up our sins. It's power, supernatural, invigorating power to say no to unrighteousness. And grace by itself is a way of life. It is absolutely a way of life. John 15. It's a common passage. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John 15. This is Jesus. He's praying, speaking to, to them. 
I'll just read through this real quick. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Here's what's so interesting. This is kind of scary. It's a little side note. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So the taking away, you know, when I'm not bearing fruit, basically because I'm in sin, he takes that away, that, that process of taking away and the process of pruning so that I can bear more fruit. Both of those feel exactly the same. <laughs> so, they feel the same. And so we sometimes can look on this side and say, well, you know, Brandy's having financial difficulty or relational difficulties or work difficulties or, you know, fill in the blank. You know, is she in sin or is God just pruning her to bear more fruit? And so when these difficulties come in our lives, and I'm going to talk about probably when I talk about suffering grace, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. That's a blank, but I'll say, don't throw it in now. Throw it in, don't throw it in now. No. When those challenges come into our life, the question, the always first question needs to be, is there sin in my life, Lord? Did I miss something? Again, that's turning our heart blamelessly toward him. Lord, am I missing something? Sickness. I, you know, I probably said this before. You know, I don't think that all sickness is because of sin. I mean, other than the big sin way back in the garden. But if someone, if, if you have sickness in your life, that's the first place I'm going to check. I'm going to check. Lord, is this sin in my life? You know, is this because of something that I've done that you brought this? And Lord afflicted me with headaches. I wasn't heading toward a wrong way, and he afflicted me with headaches. And I said, Lord, is, you know, after about three weeks of headaches, et cetera, and nothing touched, I said, Lord, is there sin in my life? I was so deceived. And it was like, zing. I mean, boom, immediately. Showed me what it was. I felt on my knee, confessed. Had to do a whole lot of cleanup to get it right, to fix things. And it was really a mess. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't like this. I confessed and all was well. Big pink fuzzy blanket and everything's okay. I mean, I had to do it. It was a rough, rough stretch. It was about five years ago, six years ago, last month. And I never had a headache again after that. But let me tell you, I, I mean, not, not ever. I still have headaches sometimes, but not like these debilitating kind of headaches. But let me tell you, sometimes I just a little tremor up there going on, and I'm thinking, I got any sin? <laughs> I got any sin going on? He's like, no, just take two Tylenol, you know. You're reacting to the MSG and the Chinese from yesterday. You know what I mean? You know. <laughs> you know. But I'm going to check there first, check what's going on. It's just sin in my life. just sin in my life. It's totally free. Okay. Um, Verse 3, and already you are clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Do you think he's making a point? Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withered. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. How about that? That's some power right there. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, abide in his love. Okay, so that would be a key word that we would study in those verse 1 through 10 is abide. To live, to dwell, to tabernacle. And to walk out this sanctifying grace, it requires, I believe, a moment-by-moment abiding in the presence of the Lord. And being ever-sensitive and mindful. Is that how am I doing that? Total, complete, moment-by-moment abiding. Moment-by-moment. Lord, is this, is this where you want me to go eat dinner? Is this the path that you want me to take home? Is this what you want me to order on the menu? I mean, food's an issue for me, so... That's always going to be a place where I'm going to always have to seek him on that. Well, do I make this phone call? You know? I met this guy, and he's really cute. Do I ask my friend that knows him? Is he beating somebody? You know, do I do that? And the chance probably, no. But I can just tell you that straight up. But seek him on that. You know, you're at work. Do I respond to this email? Do I not respond to this email? How do I? Just ever, this constant dialogue. The good thing is that he is all about keeping us abided to him, abound to him, you know, whatever that would be, whatever, abide. He wants us to abide with him. So he's working on the other side. He's not just like, anybody saying, okay, well, are you going to hang on or not? You know, the word trust in the Hebrew often means to attach. My Sunday school teacher this morning, Tammy Head, talked about, it's like um, 
glue or, or, or Velcro, which I love. You know, because Velcro, you, you know, kind of the, they kind of go together like that. And, you know, that's it. When we trust the Lord, it needs to be like that, like Velcro. So that when there is a separation, when you know when Velcro is about to go, right? You hear, you know, you're hearing that rip. And so when you know things that were, I'm not abiding. John 14:21, which kind of goes to verse 10, says, um, "Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me." We sit here and we say we love the Lord. Luke 6:26 says, "You call me Lord, Lord. Why do you not do what I say?" I mean, Jesus said that. He's not this gentle shepherd passing by. He's a gardener. He's going to prune us so that we can display his glory. And why? Look at this. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will show myself to him. I want Jesus to show up. I want to see Jesus real and big. I want it. Obey my commands. That's what he said. You obey my commands, you show up. And he is... He showed up. I don't know about you guys, but he was at 353 North Post Road, number 625 tonight, today. He was there. Real was there. Sanctifying grace. Psalm 119, 133. It's a great verse. Direct my footsteps according to your word. And then this is the key. Let no sin <coughs> rule over me. Let no sin rule over me. That, I'm telling you, memorize that verse. Or put in a note card every morning you get up. Lord, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Let no sin rule over me. So you know what that means? There's not a single sin out there that has to, ha- that has to have dominion over you. We choose to let it have dominion over us. We choose to. Psalm 119, 133. Great verse. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is seized except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Um, You know, we hear often God will not give us more than we can handle. That's a lie. All the time, he gives us more than we can handle. Because if we can handle it, then what? I don't know about you, but I just go slide back into self-sufficiency mode. I got it handled. I don't need you on this, Lord. I got it. He gives us things all the time. Now, our temptations are not going to overwhelm us. He's not going to send so much temptation on us that's going to overtake us. But he will give things in our life that will strive us to drive us to our knees. But our temptations, they're never going to overwhelm us. And they're common to man. Oh, you just don't understand. You know, I'm fornicating with this boy because, you know, you, we just are so in love, you know. No, I understand. You know, I'm 43. You know, I understand. You know, but we think that, you know, my situation is different. My situation is unique. Well, I know we're engaged, and but we're going to go ahead and, you know, move in together so we can save, you know, $750 a month for the next six months for the wedding. I'm like, just elope and save $10,000 on the wedding. You know? I can get you to save some money. You know? Don't suck up. It's not glorifying the Lord. It's that temptation. You know, oh, I just, wa- I just had to get the cheesecake. I just, it called my name. <laughs> you know? I was, because um, when I'm tired, food just like really becomes a temptation for me. I'm, I had, had a long day at, at work. Um, volunteer, we had volunteers out of the house. So for all day on a Saturday from about 8.30 to 4, 3.30, we had 90 volunteers out of the house, and I just had to be on and answering questions and just, you know, tell the story again and again and again. And, and so I was just tired. So I'm driving home, and um, one of my drugs of choice is James Coney Island's lemonade slushy thing with tater tots. Now, how much sugar can you get, you know? And I always think French fries are the perfect food anyways, or tater tots. Because they're, they're starchy, they're salty, they're fried, and they turn to sugar, so you eat them. So I always think it's the perfect food group. So there it is. And, um, and so I, uh, actually real intentional because I don't know the feeder roads real well coming up 45 through town, but I knew there was a James Coney, and so I'm just spying it out. And I pull off, and just as I pull into the parking lot, my phone rings, and it's a friend of mine who would not allow me to order 
tater tots and Benson <laughs> Allen. So I'm sitting in the parking lot. I'm talking 15 minutes. Carl running, sitting in the parking lot, talking to Michelle. Thinking I could mute and I could go up. Yes, but I'm tired. I'm ready to go home. I don't want... But did I, Okay, did God provide a way of escape? Yes. Did I take advantage of the way of escape? No. You know, I pull in there. See, Michelle, you know, you know, large tater tots, you know, large things coming. You know, and it was not pretty the next morning. You know, so he provides his way to escape. He always, always, always provides his way to escape. And part of the way is we've got to think about it beforehand. What are some temptations that come in your life? What are some struggles you're going to have along the way? Whether it's in eating, whether it's a work situation, whether it's gossip, whether it's lying. You know, I used to call it embellishing. I just embellish, you know. No, it's lying. I'm telling a lie to make myself look better, you know, or to make people like me. Praise of the men, that's another drug of choice. What are those areas in your life and say, okay, when I'm with this person, we end up doing this, this, and this. So either when you get here, stop, you know, start making a plan. How am I going to avoid these temptations? You know, maybe I need to quit hanging around. When I first came to Christ, for things, it is still is, for things, three, it is my life first. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the unsurpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider it rubbish that I may gain Christ. So it was a real easy filter because I'm a black and white girl. I'm sure you're surprised. But I'm a black and white girl. And so that was my filter. Okay. Does this draw me closer to Christ? You know? Or does it draw me away from Christ? Just deepening my relationship with who he is and his Christian principles? Or is it drawing me away from the Christian principles? And if it's drawing me closer to him, then I can keep that. If it's drawing me away from it, then I can throw it away. You know? So going to church on Sunday morning was not really an option. I mean, that just is it making me closer to Christ or away from Christ? You know, unless there's, and I'm not, there's, you know, I go on vacation, I don't go to church on Sunday mornings. I mean, there's not the match, you know, you know, but sleeping an extra 30 minutes or getting up out of bed and getting in the Word. Is that going to draw me closer to Christ or further away from Christ? Real black and white, those kind of things. So you need to start having those kind of filters that you put in my life and say, is this friend? Is this relationship? I mean, I, I had to say no to some friends. I had to, you know, not take calls, you know, from people and eventually turn them off. You've got an enabling relationship that's unhealthy. So you just, you get the number comes up and you're like, ugh. And you probably need to do some talking to the Lord about how do we get out of this appropriately. You know? No temptation to cease you. No temptation. He'll provide a way out. That's grace. The power to do that. We're going to skip over those. Um, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says that we need to draw near to the throne of grace so in our time of need we will have mercy. So we draw near to the throne of grace and we can obtain mercy and grace in our time of need. So you're in the middle of a time of need, you need some grace. Draw near to the throne. Just call out to him. Draw near to the throne. Lord, I'm going to draw near to you. Draw near to you. And then um, that's Roman, that was Hebrews 4, 16. And Romans 6, 14, I think, is about where grace abounds. Um, uh, Love abounds. I mean, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds. Also, Romans 5.20 talks about that. And then we get into, you know, people get into trouble and say, well, I'm just going to sin more so more grace will show up. And then that your heart's not pure toward God. That way you've been prideful, and that's, we'll get into that in a moment. I, I love this. Titus 2.11.12. Grab this verse. This could be the same verse, and this really is something. I quote this verse, or reference this verse, a good two times a week, I bet you. Titus, 11, Titus 2, 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all. So that's the saving grace. We know that. So, this is, so it brings salvation for all people, and it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So God's grace provides salvation. What is the blank there? So the, God's grace is power, not just pardon. It's power. God's grace is, number one, salvation. Number two, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. So I have the ability to say no. That's what it says. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. But then it also has us to, gives us the ability to say yes to righteousness. It teaches me to live self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. If I just lived a self-controlled life, my life would be so much better. I would just be disciplined, be self-controlled. 
which is the highest fruit of the Spirit, by the way. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. The Word of God is, is um, every word is intentional. And the order, I think, is intentional. You can't have joy if you don't have love. You can't have peace unless you have love and joy. You can't have faithfulness if you have love, joy, and peace. And self-control, when you operate in self-control, think about that. When you operate in self-control, you're fully operating in the Spirit. Because we can't control ourselves because we're dead, right? You know, Galatians 2.20, I've died with Christ, therefore that I might live with Christ. So when we're operating self-controlled, it really is spirit-controlled. Spirit-controlled. Titus 2.11-12, that is such a verse to say, grace is not just some fuzzy blanket that pardons us. It is a sanctifying task that it does in our lives that enables us to not walk in unrighteousness. I just can't help it. No. If you're a believer in Christ, the answer is you can walk in righteousness. There is no sin that you can't be broken from, delivered from, healed from. There is no sin. All right now, the Lord is just bringing things to your mind, saying things that sin in your life. It's like, Lord, I've just used this as an excuse. I just can't help but be angry. No, that is a lie. You can't. You can't. I just can't. That's just my personality. I'm just negative. No. It's not just your personality. Corinthians says, Paul says to the Corinthian, the Corinthian church, I don't know, what, the church at Corinth, I'm not sure which, where it is, but um, it's in there, trust me. Um, I can find it for you later, send me an email. But um, it says that you are, no, you are not mere men. We are not mere women. We are super women, empowered with the Holy Spirit to do anything. What does John 15 just say? Whatever you ask. Whatever you ask. It'll be done for you. Love me, obey my commands, walk in my ways. Whatever you ask will be done for you. Whatever you ask. Philippians 2.13 For it is grace, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's grace gives us both the desire and the power to obey God. For it is God who works in you both to will my desire, my mind, my will, my emotion, I want to will it into you and to work for his good pleasure, to actually do it. It's God's grace that enables us to do that. Hmm. I don't understand all of, all of everything about God. I don't understand. I don't understand some of the dichotomies. I don't understand some of the paradigms. I, I, I don't understand why he would come and save me. I wouldn't have come and saved me. I wouldn't have died on a cross for me. But he did, and he, and he, and he finds great pleasure, joy, and satisfaction in me. He thrills at me. He's thrilled. Thrilled. And I don't, I, you know, I thought about this, this today in a class, in a Sunday school class. I don't know what prompted me. We were studying the names of God. And if you, who's got a puppy dog that when you go home, that dog, I mean, almost pees on himself. He's so excited about you coming home. So thrilled. You're home. You've only gone 35 minutes, you know, and this... Over the top. It's like you've been gone forever. You know? And I think when we get distracted and we wander away and kind of just get into our own thing and I'm not, you know, and I don't acknowledge him for an hour, a day, a week, a month, you know, and we're just doing our thing. He's just over there thinking, okay, well, I wonder if she's coming home. Well, okay. And then we come home. And he just is like beside himself. He's so excited. He's so thrilled that we've come back. You know, he pursues us with a passionate, steadfast love that's overwhelming. And we just are like, we love you, Lord. We go over here and do my thing. And he holds no grudge. We're gone a day, a week, a month, an hour, a year, a decade. You know, and we don't come back and... Say, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry I've been gone so long. He didn't say, you're right. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. You've been gone, you know, 427 days. You've not spoken to me. You've not opened the Bible. You've not... Okay, let me work, process this. Okay. <laughs> Let's start letting my feelings line up with the facts that I'm forgiving you. Okay. Okay, come into my presence. No! I mean, it's like, Lord, I've been gone. And he's like, I know. Come on back. It's so good to see you. I'm so glad you I mean, no grudge. No hesitation, 100% full restoration, as if nothing had ever happened. Amazing. Amazing. And I don't understand how this works. Grace, the will and the power to do His will. He gives us the will. He gives us the desire. He gives us the power. It's all about Him. We just kind of have to show up. 
80% of why is he showing up? Just show up. God will do it. 2 Corinthians 9.10. I mean 9.8. And God, listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Okay, so it sounds like it's pretty all-encompassing. God's grace. All. What more do you need than all? He's got it all. He's got it covered. He's got you covered. Abundantly. Every situation at all times. Grace is there. And we just, we forget about it. When we face a situation and say, Lord, I need grace. You might not know where the verse is. You might not even understand what the solution is. I need grace. Give me grace. I need sanctifying grace to get through this time. Suffering grace. And we will be through in time. These are fast. Number three, suffering grace. Elizabeth Elliot, who is one of my favorite authors. Elizabeth Elliot, and many of my favorite people, I really, she's sometimes too esoteric, I can't read her stuff, but um, suffering. Having what you don't want or wanting what you have. Having what you don't want or wanting what you don't have. You know, one day I would I love to be married, where I'd be married. So I'm kind of suffering under, you know, not having what I want. But it's okay because I know some people who have what they don't want, and it's a whole lot better to not want what I have, or have what I don't want, than not want what I got. You with me on that? You know, so that suffering. You know, I think I might be suffering, but if I had, you know, people like you're 43 years old, never been married. You know, I'm like, no. And I know the Lord has protected me from marrying a fool, biblical fool. I mean, I would have. You know, three and four times probably by now. It wasn't for his grace. Suffering grace. Second Corinthians twelve, eight and nine, and this is Paul, um, it's thorn in the flesh. Three times I pray with the Lord about this that it should leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I don't like that because you know for me I'm a perfectionist. And so when I fail, like I'm surprised. Because I think I'm perfect. So when I mess up, I think why did I mess up? And I beat up myself, and it's like, Becky, you're not, you're not Jesus. Jesus lives in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in you, but you're not Him. You know, you're not going to be perfect. So when those times come and those weaknesses come, and I'm not able to do what I think I should do, I just need to rejoice. Rejoice. Good Lord, now you brought me to the end of my self-sufficiency, and now I'm going to depend on your grace to get me through, because you've called me to do whatever fill-in-the-blank it is. You know, for Brandy being married to Vinny to her husband, Lord, help us. I read Second Peter 3. I know what it says. But God has called her to that, and he will give her the grace to do that. If she chooses it. Otherwise, she'd just have a miserable 50 years. That's what it says. And how do we get more of God's grace? Mm-mm-mm. I wish there was another way. We're just going to go straight to First Peter 5, 5 through 7. Those are the verses that are good too, but this will work. How do we get more grace? I wish there was another way. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself and all, all of you with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We've got to humble ourselves. If you want more grace, humble yourself. Lord, and part of that is just simply saying, hey, Lord, I need your grace. Acknowledging your lack. If it's saving grace, and you don't know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, hey, or I'm a sinner going straight to hell, I need your saving grace. If it's a sin, a besetting sin, a, an area of, of sanctification that you're desiring, humbly say, Lord, I am struggling in this area. I need your grace in this area. And Lord, I will receive that grace. Because sometimes we like our sin more than we like the grace. And then we've got to be willing to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to die to that sin. I'm going to die to self. That's what it does. Just die to self. That's what it gets down to. you got weakness. you got pain. you got suffering. I'm thankful. I'm blessed. I have a good body. I'm not ill. I'm in good shape. I played softball all day yesterday. I could put heels on today. I mean, praise the Lord. I didn't think I could last night, but I could this morning. But some people suffer from chronic pain, friends that have rheumatoid arthritis, and young, in their 20s, and it's like debilitating pain. Lord, you're sufficient in my weakness. Your grace is sufficient to carry me. Humble ourselves. 
and he is the source. Verse 10. And as he suffered a little while, the God of all grace, because our suffering is just for a little while, light momentary afflictions, they're going to earn for us an eternal way to glory. But in our suffering, in our lostness, in our sinfulness, in our disobedience, in our rebellion, it's just a little while. Call up to the God of all grace, because he needs to be our source. Not food for me, not relationships, not praises of men, not to-do lists, because I can be pharisaical. I can do my life. A friend of mine just told me today this morning, she was down in Palm Beach for um, last weekend, and, or the, the week of Passover, was it last weekend, the weekend before? But the Jewish Passover, we missed it this year. I don't know why we got so off kilter, but this hotel, it was high Holy Week. I mean, high, 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 high Holy Week. And under pharisaical laws, there are certain things they couldn't do. Like they could not open a door. So they had set up doors, and they had signs, manual door over here, automatic door over here. So you had to go around in a certain way. They hired a man to sit in the elevator because they couldn't push the elevator door. They couldn't push the buttons on the elevator. That was considered work. Pharisaical. So those are kind of, we can get under those, pharis- you know, I didn't have my quiet time this morning, I'm going to go to hell. No, you know, I gotta, you know God's man is sufficient. Don't get pharisaical. Have the relationship because you enjoy his presence. You know, jump up and get out of bed because I can't, you know. I only got 30 minutes with him. I got to hurry up and go see him. Like, I'll on the phone with him. He's our source. Not laws, not food, not friends, not money, not a spouse, not children, not prestige. He is it. He's it. Psalm 68.5, and I got a wallpaper on my wall. My soul is satisfied as with the richest of food by the Lord. He satisfies me. He sa- nothing else satisfies. Nothing. Nothing else satisfies. Go to Him to get more grace and to get more source. To be a source. So my prayer for you today is that the Lord will reveal Himself as you think over where do you need His grace. Hope you wake up in the morning and you think to yourself, Lord, I need the grace today, Lord. Lord, I need to apply your grace in my life. And then start living that out and applying that grace on a day-to-day basis. And it will be the power to say no to unrighteousness and yes to righteousness. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Let's pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to us um, in unique and, and profound ways. Thank you for your grace. Your saving grace. Your sanctifying grace. Your suffering grace. Because you are the God of all grace. And Lord, I just pray that the ladies in here, Lord, would... would Today, see the idols in their life, that I would see the idols in my life that I set up to find satisfaction in besides you in your grace. Because you're the God of all grace. The God of all hope. The God of all peace. And every single moment by moment abiding that we have in you. In Christ's name. Amen.